Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. This week, instead of one of our usual episodes, we are doing a special episode discussing the Umbrella Academy. It was requested by one of our patrons, and we really enjoy the show, so we decided, yes, we will do it. Uh, we have not read the comics, though, so... Yet. <laughs> Chris already basically has them in his cart, ready to check out. Mm-hmm. We still want to talk about the show, the first two seasons that are out so far, and why we enjoy the show so much, and as well as, you know, our typical critiques and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so if you haven't watched this show, you should go do that, but just a brief synopsis. It's a show about seven siblings, adopted siblings, who have superpowers. And they're typically trying to stop the apocalypse while also dealing with their own interpersonal and personal issues. Is it Vanya this time? It's usually Vanya. It's usually Vanya, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you know, obviously I am a huge superhero fan. I've read a lot of comic books. I'm, I'm a big geek in that realm. Obviously. Obviously. So I'm coming at this appreciating the genre that it's operating within. And even having seen and read so many stories, this one still stands out in so many ways because I think it shows really good sibling relationships and it engages with the tropes of the genre in ways that are, I think, compelling and nuanced, but also still fun. One of the best examples is that one of the seven characters is a time traveler who, in a mistake of time travel, comes back even though he's a 58-year-old man in the body of a (laughs) 13-year-old. Yes, there is that. Who then chooses to remain in his short shorts (laughs) school uniform throughout the show. Yeah, Um, which is the best choice. Yeah, so it's this this hardened assassin who doesn't particularly like anyone who is in the body of this child. And I could imagine the show's success would have really balanced based off of how that performance came about. And the actor that is that plays number five does such an amazing job. <laughs> he really does, yes. Because it is such a such a, a big ask for an actor of that age, because it has to be so compelling for the audience to kind of be on board and, and for him to act alongside mostly adult actors. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just pulls it off so well. In my opinion, like, I, I like almost everyone in the show, but he carries the show because he just has this this really great charisma to him. Yeah, it's, it's something that I haven't seen. And, you know, like other characters, you could maybe name something else with as a character similar or with a similar flavor. But, like, he is just his own weird beast, you know? Totally. And, I mean, most of those, it's not super far and away out there in comic books. Of course. But those other comics haven't been adapted to television for the most part Mm -hmm. because it is a big ask. They did that here and I think did it very well. Well, and that's the thing. It would be really easy for it to get way over the top and trying too hard with it Mm -hmm. or like only engaging it when it's supposed to be a joke or, you know, different things like that. But I think how the actor carries himself, he keeps it at all times Sometimes it's, we're not highlighting it, it's just the setting of him pouring himself scotch or, you know, something like that. It's not a focus, it's not a punchline, it's nothing like that. It's just a continuation of his character in conflict, outside of conflict, just whenever, you know. Absolutely, yeah. 
And I think that that kind of goes into, you know, you mentioned just the setting, the set dressing almost of it. Mm. I think the show is also visually striking that it has really beautiful cinematography and that the design of it is really interesting. It's got this kind of modern day, but a weird, almost steampunky version of modern day where they don't have cell phones. I've seen some Zeppelins flying in the sky. (laughs) Cars look like they're from the 1960s. Like it's this kind of weird version of the modern day, but then there's Hollywood celebrities as we know them today. So the visuals of the show are themselves very striking and and even the cinematography sometimes I'll, I'll catch myself being like I wonder if that was a panel from the comics if that they mm-hmm. they literally took a panel and translated it because it is just such a well-defined shot uh that really kind of communicates a lot I guess you'll find out Chris I, I certainly will I look forward to it <laughs> In the same kind of realm, I also love the music that they use in the show. <laughs> of course you do. I mean, it's great, but you know so much of it. I do, yeah. They yeah. use a fair amount of older songs for it. But it's not just that, like, I do just love the music, typically, that they use, but it's also the way that they use that music. Like, mm-hmm. it's always done in a way that is typically exciting. Like, oftentimes it's done during a fight scene or something like that. <laughs> but in a way that also brings in that fun. It being a, a song that is, yeah, kind of joyous and energetic, or that the song itself is playing on the irony of the scene, playing a joke on it. One of the best examples is after one of the Swedes dies in season two, and they have the Swedish version of Adele's Hello. <laughs> yeah. It's just like these characters who you've never actually seen say a word, just be these kinds of weird looming presence. These just are very odd characters going through this depressing event for them. But it's just like, it's so over the top that it becomes a charming joke where it does actually kind of make me like them a little bit more while at the same time I'm laughing at them because of that kind of over the top atmosphere. Yeah, you saying that it's not just the songs they chose to use, but it's how they chose to use them and when they chose to use them. Because I think those things do really add to the setting Mm -hmm. of the show and they add to the tone of the show. That's not that common to see done, Mm -hmm. you know, where it's like particular songs really change the entire atmosphere of what's going on. Because if they were just having fight scenes without these ridiculous songs in the background of it, it just would be like, okay, there's another fight scene. Or mm-hmm. or sometimes it'd just be like, oh gosh, this is really dark. Absolutely. But, but the music adds this levity to it, which I think in general the show does in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. whether it's costume or characteristics but yeah definitely also with music even the plot you know that they're fighting the apocalypse but they cause the apocalypse (laughs) you know it's not like they're fighting these evil villains really Mm -hmm. it is that they have these personal ambitions and struggles but ultimately the end of the world more often than not they blow off fighting the apocalypse to Five's frustration (laughs) because they've got other stuff going on. And then ultimately, yeah, the apocalypse that that they do come together to try to fix, they have to fix because they they caused it, which I think is its own kind of, yeah, a very playful way of thinking about the end of the world. 
Yeah, and I think it's also a really playful way of thinking about siblings who mm. are superheroes. It's not just a band of superheroes who, yeah, are all coming together to fight this big bad or whatever it is, like if it was the Avengers or Justice League, you know, but like they are siblings and so they take sibling dynamics with them in everything they do, which just makes it delightful because it's one thing if this other superhero that you rarely work with, but every once in a while it's required because, you know, it's the end of the world or aliens are invading, whatever. But here it's like, oh, well, Five's just being like this. Oh, he just time travels. Who even knows? He thinks he's 45 years older than us. (laughs) Like, you know, whatever it is. It's just great because Five is always just trying to herd the cats of his siblings. You know, they show up when they need to usually. (laughs) But yeah, their dynamics are, I think, what to me makes the show work. Absolutely. And and it's it's great because I think we don't see every pairing between the seven of them. But mm-hmm. when we do see two of them on their own, we tend to see a very unique relationship between them mm-hmm. compared to those relationships with their other siblings. Totally. And that in of itself, I think, is really special because it's not just we have a family dynamic, but it's that I have these very specific dynamics with each of my siblings. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the good things that come with that, but also the dysfunction that comes with that. Absolutely. Which I enjoy watching season two more than season one, I think. I mean, I don't know. It's hard because, like, you also have the time travel aspect of they're all time travel. Yeah. Which adds to what's going on. You get to see more of Ben, who I love. So Mm -hmm. that's great. They're relationships i think are a little better they're a little nicer to each other yeah i think that they're they're seeking one another in a way they weren't in the first season mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i think i like season two better but season one they lay all the foundation of their different issues yeah and and why they have so many different problems with each other with just themselves even when people are making <laughs> terrible decisions, you're like, no, don't do that. But yeah, I mean, these kids were all abused mm-hmm. and sent in to go stop things and kill people as children, not to mention what happened to Vanya. Mm-hmm. Even when you're like, no, don't do that, or no, Klaus, don't drink, or don't take that drug. You won't be able to do what you need to do, but like you also get why they're doing it. Yeah. When I think about it in conversation with other comic books, I think it's kind of putting together two trends that are commonly seen or two tropes. Uh, One being taking superheroes and trying to make a kind of more realistic version of it. And in particular, deal with the psychology of superheroes, deal with, uh, you know, Watchmen's the best example of this, where it's looking at superheroes and looking at the ways that engaging in violence and dressing up and doing all these other kinds of things will have effects on your psychology and on your relationships. And then I think it's marrying that with the genre that the X-Men exemplifies of like the school or the 
mentorship relationship where there's younger people who are being shepherded into this life. And I think it's doing a great job of towing the line between those because it doesn't get super self-serious the way Watchmen does. It still has that joy, that, that fun energy to it. But at the same time, it's also looking at the people who are doing these activities in a way that is highlighting how abusive it can be. There's a lot, been a lot of really great readings of characters like Professor Xavier or Batman or other characters who have people they're training, children they're having fight these battles, and yeah, how awful and abusive those kinds of environments are and what it's like to be raised in that kind of environment. But those comics themselves pretty rarely deal with them. And again, when they do, they tend to be really self-serious. Here, I think it's taking all this together and it's presenting us in a way that is not just, look how damaged these people are. It's still being like, yeah, they're, they're damaged. They have been affected by and traumatized by this upbringing, by the world they live in, the violence they live through, the losses they've had. by their own powers like Klaus. Absolutely. Their own powers. That's a great point. But they are still people with relationships who can find joy and have hobbies, you know, make jokes and, and other kinds of things that makes me feel like they are full characters. That mm-hmm. the tropes that the comic is dealing with do not overtake the characters in driving the story and driving mm-hmm. the narrative, mm-hmm. which I appreciate mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I think the show also has really interesting villains. Yeah. Hazel and Cha-Cha come in in the first season and are literally behind masks, literally kind of ambiguous characters, very unknown characters, but they both become such strange and yet compelling characters over that season where you see them not only as they are doing this brutal violence, but also as they are interacting with one another, dealing with just the struggles of being an employee of a company. And then in season two, yeah, we have the Swedes who are kind of... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, And then Lila, who I think is a really, really great character. Yeah, I love Lila. Very good addition. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's the Handler, who I think is a power-hungry character who's the main villain that we really see, uh, at least thus far. But I think that Lila in particular is really interesting because, as you learn in the last episode that's out thus far, she is like them. She was one of these children born with powers at this very specific time. Yet she's also kind of the inverse of them because she was raised alone, but her power is about community. And Mm -hmm. they were raised together, but they all have their individual powers. And so I think that she is this really interesting thematic kind of twist on that, where she was also raised to be basically an assassin for the commission or an operator for the commission, but, you know, raised with a mission prominently in mind for for her. Uh, So I, I appreciate that they bring her in as a way of, yeah, at least makes making me think more about the family as a whole and what it means for them to have the dynamics that they have and the powers that they have and and yeah i just i like that a lot mm-hmm. yeah and that's one of the things that, that we were talking about in this most recent watch through is that in part because they are the ones who cause the apocalypse like they are the protagonists and they have powers but they're not like these heroic paragons of justice like yeah. they're they are, they're the the ones kind of propelling the plot, trying to fight against the apocalypse, just because they're the only ones who believe five when he says the apocalypse is coming, because mm-hmm. no one else would believe him. But they do, and so they are the main characters in thinking about the apocalypse at times, trying to avert the apocalypse, but not always. Also, just dealing with their own stuff, and 
I think that's also uh, a new and unique kind of way of, of engaging with these kinds of stories where it's not just about, like you were saying, them coming together to fight the big bad, but it's a little bit more haphazard and narratively, I think, they're a little bit more human. One, you know, Allison went off and became an actor mm. and had a husband and a daughter and Klaus has been doing whatever, you know. The only one who kind of stayed in the business of trying to save people or stop crimes or whatever it was, Diego. And Luther to an extent. I mean, ish, but he was more just like doing whatever dad told him to. True, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's that's interesting too. Yeah, a lot of them at least also kind of show different takes on, on superheroes. Like you mentioned, Diego remains the kind of the crime fighter, but he's like the super intense one, like Batman, where it's just like <laughs> everything is about justice and fighting criminals and being awesome. And you know, landing on his feet when he comes through the time. Exactly. Warp. Yeah. Um, Luther is the, the character who's, yeah, kind of the boy scout, the, the do-gooder, <laughs> the one who follows orders really. Allison's the celebrity, which a lot of superheroes, you know, become both within our society as icons, but also even in their own comics. Uh, Vanya's kind of the, you know, she has first like some training montages and she kind of exemplifies that. She's also the the uber powerful character and then she's also the... But the underdog at the same time. Yeah, the character who can turn villainous. So they, they all kind of, yeah, show these other versions, but also, yeah, more realistic versions of those at the same time. Where, mm -hmm. yeah, Allison could use her power in ways that would help her career. But at the same time, what are the tolls that that has on her personal life? Because she can't not be someone with these powers. She, yeah. You know. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of this show that I really enjoy. <laughs> yes. Another thing I love about it is that they're all adopted. They are different races from each other. Or some of them are. Mm-hmm. And it's just so oversaturated in media. If you're going to have a character who's adopted, then at some point they have to go on a journey to find their biological parents or something like that. Yeah. And they're just like, we're siblings. Our dad's an asshole. Our mom's a robot. <laughs> and we have superpowers. We have superpowers. And even though their dad is an asshole, their mom is a robot, they don't feel the need to like go find a different family like their family is their family mm -hmm. because they grow up as a family and yeah i i really appreciate that yeah it's, it's really great seeing a depiction of an adoptive family still being considered the primary family i think the closest the the show comes to kind of lessening that is the relationship between luther and allison because I mean, that could happen in a that's biological true family that's true but i feel like you know they always kind of defend it as like well we're not biological um <laughs> but that's because they know that they're family <laughs> they feel the need to <laughs> make a statement yeah yeah it's not something that like bothers me a lot but no. i just i think that <laughs> i don't care <laughs> but yeah well is there anything about the show that you do have a problem with that you do want to critique i mean i think that the breakdown of white characters to non-white characters is off <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, especially considering that it was just like all over the world. I mean, I'm glad that Lila's there. We we got a South Asian person, mm -hmm. but like China also has a seventh of the world's population. 
<laughs> so there should be a Chinese person and also have been great. Mm-hmm. But like so much of the world's population, three of the four most populous countries in the world are all in Asia. So yeah, we need to change that breakdown a bit. And I was like super sad to see that in the new season that will be coming out in 2022, there was no character who had an Arab or a Middle Eastern ethnicity. Yeah, that's definitely a, right. an issue in it. I mean, there's somebody who, like, the actor is Jewish, uh, American, I think Canadian, um, but still. Absolutely, yeah. And, like, this is kind of the perfect time to do it if you're, even if your writers, showrunners, etc. aren't from all of those races because they were all raised by the same person and not that they wouldn't have different experiences out in the world but they had a pretty like secluded isolated life i mean they didn't go to school outside of their academy Mm -hmm. and they had a half hour of playtime every day or whatever (laughs) so it's just they would culturally be probably pretty similar obviously some things would change once they did leave home and went out into the world Uh, they would be treated differently and that would also be really fascinating to see and important. Yeah. But even with those things, it, it was still super great and exciting. I mean, really, Ben was the first East Asian superhero I've seen in a TV show, I think. And Lila, the first South Asian. Yeah. I mean, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you could kind of say, with May and Sky. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, it's certainly underrepresented. Although, May didn't actually have superpowers. Exactly. (laughs) That's a good point. Yeah, super underrepresented. So it was really exciting to see that. And I mean, that's partially how Ben got a bigger role in the second season was because people were so excited about him being there. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, like people were all over social media and everything just continuously. I mean, also interesting character you want to know more definitely so yeah that's at least justin min attributes that to a lot of the fandom that's cool yeah oh ben (laughs) ben's the best (laughs) (laughs) literally almost every time ben comes on the screen chris will be like ben (laughs) yeah we love ben i love ben He's so great because not only is he a ghost Mm -hmm. and, you know, the the things that happen with that, but can be a gentle person, but he can also be, like, teasing and, like, really adamant about Mm -hmm. things with Klaus in his face about his sobriety and things like that. Um, And he's always, like, reading books, but then his power was this really monstrous thing, you know? So I think he's a really interesting character. Yeah, and and he, as someone who was dead for 17 years, Mm -hmm. uh, his relationship with his family, except for Klaus, is essentially defined by absence. And Mm -hmm. so when finally all seven get together in season two... And Ben says, I really missed you all. You know, know. it's it's (laughs) sincere and you can understand why while everyone else is snapping at each other and fighting and quarreling, Ben is just happy to see people Mm -hmm. and just happy to be together in that way. And it seems like every individual sibling had a pretty good relationship with Ben. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is also why, like, 
as much as I find Klaus really entertaining and, and a great character, I just get so upset when I see him just be like, oh, Ben's not here. Ghost can't time travel or whatever. I'm just know. like, why? No, There's no Klaus. need for that. Let, him, let Ben be with his family. <laughs> not being a jerk, Klaus. <laughs> but yeah, I think in the first season, one of the reasons that I'm uh, sometimes get annoyed with it is just Diego and Luther, their dynamic, like always trying to be like the better one. Not totally. that that wouldn't happen, but still, it's like, let's swing our penises around, you know? It's, yeah. It has that feel. And then Luther just like making all these unilateral decisions for things. But I was, I was glad to see in the second season, at least he took responsibility for that. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't try to help with this stuff because it's partially my fault of what happened before. And they gave his character a little more humorous things to do rather than just be the serious big man and wants to control things yeah. and be the leader. You know, that, that's just such an old trope that I'm, I don't have zero interest in that. I have negative interest in it. Yeah. Whereas in the first season, it's like two, it's like this kind of masculine rivalry between the two of them. In the second season, it's more just like two kids messing with each other you know and both being kind of dummies you know <laughs> yeah. uh yeah which is i think a lot more entertaining totally yeah something that i do wish we saw more of with diego is his stutter coming out mm. because even if you've gone to speech therapy or done these different things that doesn't mean that it doesn't still come out as obviously evidenced with the world known president biden now mm -hmm. and so I, I wish that they would have that come out more often yeah that's good for people to see who do have stutters yeah and i do like the times it does come out mm -hmm. even you know very briefly and it's not like centered but it's still just in difficult moments or in high tension moments you see him hesitate on a word or, or something like that yeah yeah also i i don't know how I feel and I don't think I really like what the show does with Harlan in the second season. Mm. You mean like the ending or all of it? Kind of all of it because I think certainly there's an element in which he is a nonverbal person who is likely on the autism spectrum but he only speaks when he's connected to Vanya and her power and... Honestly I thought that that was Ben. Oh, interesting. I, I mean, I because he was. As... I thought he was calling to her. Mm. Uh, yeah, it could be. I, you know, but, I, I, I thought mean, as still. yeah, as that kind of element, and then that kind of leans into tropes of yeah. Oftentimes, they are utilized as plot devices rather than characters. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that they have some some problem there as well as the trope of like oh they need fixing or they need to become better through supernatural means or whatever. And I, I do appreciate at least that he didn't. You know, at the end, you can see him. He has still some powers, but, you know, he's not just now not on the spectrum. Yeah. But, yeah, I still am kind of uncomfortable with how so much of that plot of Sissy and Carl and Vanya and Harlan is people talking about what they're going to do with Harlan. Mm -hmm. And we don't see a lot of him as a character but what we do see is him wanting to be around Vanya even before they have their superpower connection mm -hmm. and so 
while I understand the idea that Sissy doesn't want to go into the future at the end because she thinks it would be unsafe for him. Which is true. Which is true. (laughs) Absolutely. Makes sense. I mean, in some ways it might be safer. It would be safer if they went into the future and then weren't around the Hargraves. Yeah. But when I think about it narratively, it's like Harlan is the thing that is making it so Sissy and Vanya can't be together. Mm -hmm. And if Harlan got a say, I think that he would say he wants to be with Vanya. Mm. And mm-hmm. so, to me, that kind of falls under that idea of, yeah, making him a plot device and not a character. And not letting him have, you know, a voice is one way of saying it, but letting him have the ability to show his own desires and highlighting his own agency in that way. And, and so, yeah, I, I, it just, it rubs me the wrong way. I'm certainly not someone who is part of that community, but I would like to read more of those perspectives on that. And, I mean, that community is so misrepresented so often that... uh, Totally, yeah. Well, and, you know, you have a nephew who is on the spectrum and not purple very much. Mm -hmm. So you have a different perspective as well in regard to agency and personality and not, yeah, just being used for plot Absolutely. And those conversations are really complicated. Mm -hmm. So I can't necessarily say that, you know, there's no possible way for them to have a character like Harlan and do it well. But I just think that they don't engage with that complexity very much. And by Mm -hmm. maintaining that simplicity, they fall short in, yeah, making Harlan an agent in the story. Yeah, I agree. I also, uh, on the positive side of it, I do appreciate that there is a character like Harlan in a time travel thing because Mm. so often if people travel through time into the past, it's just like not engaged with very much on racial or gender lines. But I've never seen anything that deals with time travel and ability. Totally. Um, and that should be there. It should be in those conversations. It should be in those settings because the changes that have happened in society for the better in regard to disability in the United States, like, that is significant. It still has so far to go. Absolutely. But, yeah, I appreciate it's there, but, yeah, I think could have done it better and I I don't know if they will return in any capacity or anything um I guess we'll we'll have to see but that is something though another like negative thing I'm glad that when they returned Allison's experience was so yeah changed and you know she got involved in the civil rights movement because, yeah, oftentimes, like, I'm remembering an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode where they went back in time, and it was just like, oh, let's have, like, a couple lines here or there, but, like, no real engagement with it or anything yeah. that, like, happens to the character or any changes that the character goes through because of this different setting that they've been forced into that oppresses them in different ways than they're oppressed in their time period, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate that that's there, but I think it falls short because there's no engagement with Diego or Lila's race. And so often things are just put on this black and white binary. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's not on either side of that 
is just not discussed. But like, how many South Asians were there in Texas in the early 60s? Mm-hmm. I am going to guess not a ton. And what would it mean for Diego to be Latinx in the 60s in Texas? You know, um... Yeah, there's one thing where he's called out as a Cuban, (laughs) only known as Diego. But, like, even that is like, okay, we actually don't know where Diego's ancestry is from. Yeah. I mean, it was was a hilarious, like, moment. A good joke, but, like... A dig for how anti-communist the U.S. was at the time, but yeah. But in like, Texas, there would be a number of other Latinx people. Oh, absolutely. In particular from Mexico. So yeah. Yeah. It, it's like a substantial percentage yeah. of the population. And so to only engage with race with Allison, I think, is falling short. And both Diego and Lila were in a mental health institution um and how would their race be factored into how they're treated there or if they're allowed to leave or you know any of these things so that i feel like it does just fall into that we only talk about black and white politics in in you know tv shows and stuff yeah so yeah i think you know overall a very good show entertaining show i think they do a lot of things well I, I was certainly appreciative that day one when Elliot Page came out as trans, they changed all of the credits in the show mm-hmm. to represent that. So, yeah, I think that they're doing some things very, very well for the show. There's still more that they can do, things Absolutely. they can do better. But I guess what are you hoping to see in season three? I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing Ben again. Even Evil though Ben. It's- I mean, I don't know if evil, but definitely, like, jerk Ben. <laughs> like, I'm a little sad because it's like, oh, but Ben. But I'm just glad he's still in it. Absolutely, yeah. And I really, really, really want to see his relationship with Klaus. Mm-hmm. Because he won't know Klaus at all. Klaus will only know the other Ben. And so I hope they give a good amount of time to that relationship on screen because for Klaus, Ben didn't exactly die. Mm -hmm. He did, and then he was back with him for the past 17 years, even when he didn't want him to be there and vice versa. And so, like, he has to go through a process of mourning now and at least mourning his Ben, you know. Yeah. So I re- I really hope to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Same. While I definitely want to know more about what sci-fi nonsense is going on in <laughs> that world, I also am really intrigued by Lila and how absolutely, yeah. she is going to interact with them as she comes to terms with her own identity, her own life, and what it means to possibly have a community like that. Yeah, totally. I hope she's not like not in it until like two episodes before the end of the Mm, season or something yeah that'd be sad totally it would be great if they had another dancing number you know where they're listening to music jamming out and then like this ben comes and breaks there (laughs) you know their cd player (laughs) whatever it is yeah the dancing sequences are always so great (laughs) i think that the one in the first or second episode where they're dancing to i think we're alone now Mm -hmm. and it pans out and it shows the whole house kind of in a very comic book panel kind of style 
but each of them are alone in their room dancing. It's just such a great visual, musical, character-driven moment. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very well done. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to get to know new characters, but I'm also, like, kind of, like, not. Because... <laughs> <laughs> You know, it'd be interesting to see what other powers people have. Yeah. One's a floating cube, which I love. Is the most comic book <laughs> thing that has ever happened. Yeah, which anywhere. I enjoy. But I, I still want more time with the characters we already have. Like, there's still so many characters. Yeah. And I want more time with their relationships and how they're processing things and whatnot. So I hope they don't kind of... You've gotten to know them enough and now you're just going to get to know, know new people. So yeah, so hopefully season three will be great. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's a good show. Yeah. Before we end, Mm -hmm. if you could choose one of their powers to have, whose would it be? Probably fives. That's what I guessed you were going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Did you just rumor the world in submission? (laughs) Exactly. See, we both know each other very well. Yes. I would definitely choose Allison's. I would go... Directly to the Capitol. Yeah, I was going to say, I would go <laughs> into the Senate, I would go to the Supreme Court, you know. I'd... Would it be ethical? No. Would we live in a better world? Yes. <laughs> the Brittany story. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All shall love me and despair. <laughs> But, I mean, it's perfect in the hands of a pacifist. It's true. Right? It's the best hands to have it in. (laughs) Okay, well, I think that's going to wrap up our episode for today. This will be the last episode that we have before we take a couple weeks off for the holidays. And then when we come back, we're going to be soon moving into a new miniseries. Yeah, if you haven't heard our last Hunger Games episode where we announced it, we are going to be doing a read-through of the Hunger Games trilogy. We already did Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, summer of 2020. So we love that so much. We are going to do it again, slightly differently, because we're not reading them for the first time. (laughs) But yeah, it's going to be great. We'll do a few chapters per episode, so you can read along. If you don't have the books yet, go grab them your local bookstore you can get used copies online you could obviously get them at the library but yeah we are going to be starting that in january yeah and that's really exciting yeah thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of geek between the lines you can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description or you can join us at patreon.com slash geek between the lines if you want to become a supporter of the podcast where you might be able to request a special episode like this one. We want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.